And now for something completely similar. The sounds of me not going along with the tune properly of our theme song means it can only mean one thing. What does it mean, Brendan? It means you're Jason. Uh, yeah, and you're Brendan. I know, I just said your name. Yeah, I was just getting your name in there, too. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. You, you better. You better appreciate. You know what, Jason? You better appreciate all I do for you. I do. You'll have that ham Christmas. Don't worry. Oh, just just announce the premise. I'm too I'm too shook right now. Now is our sub series, and now for something completely similar, wherein Brendan and I watch films that are tangentially related to films we've already watched: prequels, sequels, remakes, uh, reimaginings, uh, uh, summaries written on a napkin and then made into a new movie. Any of those could be things that we will watch, and we've watched a bunch of them, Brendan. Easy Rider Two: The Ride Back. Was that a real movie? I swear I saw it once. No, 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 I saw it, but I saw that it existed. It, it exists, and I've seen it twice. Oh, wow. You're the, you're the guy. The one guy <laughs> that's seen it and then saw it again? Uh, I don't want to talk about it. Did Nathan watch that? No, but that's oh. a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I'm sorry, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> that movie is. You want to talk about some trash. Wow. But uh, but anyway, this is not about Easy Rider 2, The Ride Home, or The Ride Back, or whatever the fuck it's called. Despite the fact that it's clearly a very British movie. Yeah, very. And yeah. made by the exact same people, right? <laughs> Surely. Just a guy that happened to kind of look like Peter Fonda. And then the, the one guy that's like the star of it was like a dude who had like one line, and he was like at the gas station, and they ride up, and he's just like, hi, Phyllis! And he's the one guy in the movie. Oh no, he's not even in the original movie. He's uh, he was just a lawyer that got the rights. <laughs> oh my. Oh Jason, you need to watch it. Uh, I'll I'll give the people listening right now. I know we're we're vamping, but I got I got I got to read this here. I I got to say this. The people listening right now, when your movie has the line, the sky was blue, just like it was on 9/11, you know you have a gem. I mean, it was also blue on a lot of other days, too. And probably <laughs> well, no, same, but it was a lovely morning. I'll give them that. But but it was a blue sky on 9-11. OK. Yeah. Blue Just sky it, is on 9-11. Put it together. Loose change. It all adds up. Yeah. yeah. Damn it. Damn but it. anyway, yeah, this is this is you know what? Fuck all that shit. This is a podcast yeah. called For Screen and Country. And yes, we are Britishing it up in a British way. Absolutely. Um. Well, Jason, we talked about a movie on the BFI Top 100 quite some time ago. Yeah. Uh, it was number 71 on the list, mm-hmm. and it was released in 1998. Of course, I'm talking about Elizabeth. Yes. Which had some interesting comparisons to a similar movie that year called Shakespeare in Love. Yeah, well, featuring uh, that's that same historical figure in both films. And Joseph Fiennes in both movies, and Jeffrey Rush in both movies. So, it was, uh, it was there's a lot of things going on there, but... We're not talking about either of those. We're talking about the the sequel to yeah. Elizabeth. Yeah. Called Elizabeth the Golden Age. 
which I, I knew existed, but had no idea that it had come out in 2007 of all time. Like I, I'd heard about it and I thought, oh, surely that came out in like 2013 is like this long term return to oh, the making. No, it was tw- it was only like 10 years after the original, less than 10 years. Let's let's listen along to the jaunty theme of Elizabeth, the Golden Age. By jaunty, I mean a whole lot of nothing. Yeah, yeah. Well, we we get some explanation right off right off the bat there, uh, some good historical context because despite the fact that this movie is very ahistorical, to use a term, uh, there there is some history that is actually framed around the Spanish Armada, uh, mm-hmm. the, the the tension between Spain and England, the sectarian violence between Protestant and Catholic. All these things that we that we talked about in the previous film are are kind of coming to coming to bear in this movie. Now, when you say Spain, do you mean España? España, absolutely. Okay, okay. One, one, one of I, the most powerful empires in the world at this time. Yes, next to me. Uh, sure. Were you part of the Dutch Republic? I mean, I could be. Oh, okay. Very nice. Don't question it. <laughs> well, this movie, Jason, let's go through some of the cast here, because this is a loaded S- cast, much like S- the first one. Good cast. Can't argue yeah. with the cast, man. We've got Kate Blanchett returning to play Queen Elizabeth. Yep. We've got Clive Owen as Sir Walter Raleigh. The newcomer. Yeah. We've got Jeffrey Rush returning as uh, Francis Walsingham. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got Lawrence Fox as Chris, Sir Christopher Hatton. Okay. We've, we've got Tom Hollander as Amias Paulette. Sure. Uh, that sounds like my uh, gimmick ring announcer name on the <laughs> indie scene. <laughs> um, we've got Abby Cornish as Bess Throckmorton. She is uh, Elizabeth's um, handmaiden, I guess. The one what Clive Owen gets all up in. Yeah, oh, we'll get into that. Don't uh, even worry. Just like Clive Owen did. Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> we've got uh, Jordi Mola as Philip II. And the reason I mention him is because I had a hard time like placing him as like a period specific character because all I could think of was the bad guy from bad boys Two. Oh yes. Yes. And then we had Samantha Morton as uh, queen Mary of Scott. Mm-hmm. And last but not least, much like the first movie where we had kind of a, an actor that wasn't super well known at the time, but became more well known later. We have a villain played by Eddie Redmayne playing the character, Anthony Babington. Hmm. And I'm sure most of these are real figures. I can I can speak for some of them, but most of these are real figures from this period. I believe Anthony Babington is for sure because I ple- I'm pretty sure this whole plot uh, of the uh, the attempted assassination was named like the Babington plot in some circles. Yeah, the Babington plot and Mary's involvement in it were the basis of treason charges, which led to her execution. Right. Yeah. Spoiler yeah. alert <laughs> for history. Um, but yeah, isn't it crazy that like this all, but I think it's crazy. The first one had Daniel Craig popping up before anyone really knew who he was. Mm-hmm. And this one has Eddie Redmayne. Yeah. Yeah. People getting their starts in these, uh, these period pieces. Cause and, they look and, like, 
And it's nope. crazy because they're both playing like similar type roles because Daniel Craig is like this, the guy who, you know, tries to assassinate Elizabeth. He's the, murder monk. the murder monk. Yeah, the murder monk. And they also each have a scene where they torture someone who's turned on them. Yeah. Re- really right? hit beats again. They re- really bring it back what the fans liked about the first one. <laughs> we want more torture and murder. <laughs> but could you do it in a PG-13 movie? Yeah. Well, I was. I mean, they, they, they did all right, I guess. You know, <laughs> I got to say right off the top. Um, I liked the original one a lot more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, this was kind of a mess. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's really no other way to describe it. It's a beautiful mess. No question. This is this mm-hmm. movie is as lush as the first one was, if not more so, uh, with some very good effect scenes. Um. So it looks great and and everything, but yeah, this movie is is a, a just why it's another why it's for me personally, Brendan. I'm a history guy, right? So the the movie appeals to me less because it's not all like rooted in in what actually happened, um, and that's just me. And I, and I don't find the story that they come up with particularly engaging uh, uh, to uh, I guess dismiss that just to be like, oh, I don't mind. It's not historically accurate because it was just a great story. It's not even that. Well, and I think that's the issue. That's one of the big issues right off the top, because I think with the original 1998 film, mm. um, I think we were a lot more invested in the storylines. Like, I yeah. think the storyline with uh, Joseph Fiennes, um, you know, trying to woo her and then he does something and she ends up having to banish him. And it's very sad. And, it, you know, you have the whole thing with the assassination plots going on at the same time. I mean, we basically have the same yeah. plot, the but same it's done. Yeah, in a a much less effective way. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Clive Owen. Always have. I send him letters every day. Sometimes I include naked pictures of myself. Um, You do. I've I've seen them in there. It's it's frightening. Well, it's nice that he responds. Yeah. I mean, sure, it's with official court documents, but I mean, he responds. He knows you exist is what is important. Exactly. Um, But yeah, so I love I love Clive Owen, but like. Man, there is no spark between these two. Mm. Like, mm. I, I thought there was nothing between Clive Owen and Kate Blanchett in this movie. No, and it's like they just they feel like they like had they needed a historical figure. So they're like, ah, Walter Raleigh, he'll do. We'll, we'll jam Clive Owen into his cloak and let him handle it. And yeah, because like, I don't get the feeling that like – not that I know a lot about Walter Raleigh and, and English history in this period, but I, I, I get the feeling that he probably wasn't like Clive Owen. Uh, and I love the like the like wonderful tropey ways of of tying in the real history of like him bringing tobacco to and patatas Queen and and, and patatas uh, because yeah he was the guy that is famously responsible for popularizing tobacco as a thing that people did in Europe, uh, brought it all back and got everybody hooked. So what you have to say is thank you to Mr. Raleigh. Yeah, absolutely. I believe Raleigh, North Carolina is named after him, and and I believe there was a cigarette brand at one time called Raleigh's. I do have to question if he really named Virginia after the Queen. Well, that sounds about right. I I don't know if it's true or not, but it sounds right. Okay. Because they would do that sort of shit back then. And this is the thing. I don't know if it's because the st- and like you said, the story in this is weaker. I, I mean, it's a retread, really. Yeah. Um, from the original, and I think. That maybe is why – I think I agree with you. I think that's maybe why I'm less forgiving of the history stuff because the, the original film yeah. was was not super accurate. No, 
no, no. But the point in my mind, Brendan, the point of the original film was like it's going to give us this look at Queen Elizabeth the first, mm. right? It's like kind of a window into her existence, and if it's not historically accurate, it's it's dramatically enjoyable, whatever. And it's to kind of get that character across. And and they really only need the one movie to do it because then we get into this movie. And while there's some extra history stuff that's kind of neat with the Spanish Armada, ultimately, like, like we say, it's the same movie. So why? Yeah. And, it's, and It's so like bogged down in, in details too, I find. Yeah. I mean, there was – how many loose ends really from the last movie were we concerned about? Like do we really Zero. need to see what happened to you know, uh, Francis Walsingham, how, where, where he was on his deathbed? Did we really care? I mean – No, yeah. not really. Also, did you find like – so there's things like – there's little things like that. Like we talk about Clive Owen and like I feel like Jeffrey Rush's character, like Francis Walsingham, mm-hmm. I feel like he, he loses his whole like sinister edge that he had yeah. in the original film. Well, I, I suppose you could if you wanted to attribute that to the fact that he's a bit older in this movie and that all the characters are a bit older because it's later in, in her reign that I think they're trying to portray you, from the first movie. I mean, yeah, I guess. But, like, I, he just doesn't seem like the same character. Yeah, exactly. He's not the, – the, the, uh, the one thing that he does that seems, like, consistent with his previous movie was when he um, was able to stop his brother from stabbing him. But I thought, so he's going to just kill him himself. That was, I thought his character would probably do that. Uh, and I guess, you know, there's there's something to be said for the, the bonds of family. But but that character always struck me as someone that would kill their brother if, if it was necessary for whatever, you know, greater good they thought was uh, uh, pertinent. Yeah, and I mean, this is a character we were, uh, in which we were introduced to him in the in the original film, in a scene where he killed someone. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, like, kid, is, like a boy, like a, a teenager. Yeah. This is not supposed to be, this is supposed to be like sort of a shades of gray character. I mean, yes, he's, he's ultimately um, behind, you know, he's on team Elizabeth, you know, yeah. hashtag team Liz 100%, but he's also like, he's got an edge to him. And I just feel like yeah. that edge is just not, I just feel like, yeah, it's like a different character. He's he's the guy in that first movie. He's the guy that we see a lot in fiction, but he's also a guy that really exists in real life. He's like the the fixer for the ruler. He's the guy you go to to do whatever it takes to maintain whatever objective or peace or whatever it is you need to do. He does whatever he can to do it so nobody else has to. That's he it. is. Yeah. It's, it's like Section 31 on Star Trek, you know, this shadowy group that is doing the terrible things so that nobody else has to and can kind of keep their moral high ground, you know. I was going to say he's like the Robert De Niro in Wag the Dog. Uh, the or fixer. Uh, the, the, what's his name? The wolf in Pulp Fiction, Harvey Keitel. Yeah, yeah. Harvey Keitel. Oh, little Nicky, Harvey Keitel, check it out. <laughs> or don't, like whatever. <laughs> it's not a, not a huge deal. <laughs> you like Chicago? <laughs> <laughs> But one person I think that kind of makes like, you know, makes it to this movie and comes out unscathed and still looks fabulous and still is fabulous. And that's Kate Blanchett. Oh, yeah. Well, but I mean, like, she's she's like uh, Denzel Washington in many ways. And in the one way she's black, like, yeah, well, no, no. Oh, and okay. certainly not in this movie. She's extra white in this movie. Right. Um, yeah. But in that no matter what she's in, no matter how good, no matter how bad it is, doesn't matter. They're, they're going to be fine. You don't have to worry about them. They're going to put in a performance that's enjoyable. It's true. Yeah, and it's good because if it was anybody else, this movie would be uh, probably almost unbearable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she really kind of tries to carry this thing on her shoulders. Um, and, you know, while we're talking about, you know, the weird uh, tie into history slash strange 
introduction to Clive Owen, why don't we just listen to uh, a clip of how he kind of comes into the movie. What do you want? I've just returned from the New World, Majesty. I have claimed the fertile coast in your name and called it Virginia, in honor of our Virgin Queen. Virginia? And when I marry, will you change the name to Conjugia? <laughs> I ask for your gracious permission, Majesty, to return to the New World with your royal warrant to found a colony under the laws and protections of England. Wants money. Who are they? Natives of the Americas, Majesty. Have they no ruler of their own? None to match England's Queen. These gentlemen are welcome. See that they are treated well. I also come bearing gifts for your majesty. These gifts, majesty, are the fruits of piracy, the true property of the realm of Spain. Let's see, shall we? What have you brought me? Patata, majesty. You eat it. Very nourishing. Yeah, so patatas and tobacco. It's me, and I brought all this stuff for you because you're the queen, and, and I like things that you would might like. That's what I mean. There's nothing. There's yeah. just no reason. Like, I get, I get. Okay, I get the base level in this movie is like Clive Owen is basically like this pirate. Yeah. And yeah. he kind of yeah. does explore. what he wants. To... No, explorer, privateer, depending on how you view it. I mean, I don't know that he has a letter of mark, so he's not an official privateer. But yeah, he's basically a pirate. Yeah. So he kind of represents this thing of like Elizabeth would love to just be able to go wherever she wants and, you know, sail the seven seas and pilfer and plunder. And I get that. Yeah. But then that's it. Like, what's the what's the <laughs> attraction beyond that? Like, it's just it doesn't make any sense to me. You never even really see them have any kind of moment except for the kiss later on. Mm. And that also just felt like dead to me. <laughs> like, there's nothing there. Again, what, what what are we even doing here? What are we doing here, people? Come on. Let's all just break for lunch. And then, like, are we supposed to care? Are we supposed to be, like, are we supposed to be, like, uh, mad that he hooks up with her, like, handmaiden? Like, I don't. Yeah, exactly. Do we, what, why do we care? Why do we, because that's, he's, if he's the kind of guy that we are, he's kind of cast as, he, that's exactly what he'd do. He's, he's a rogue. He's an adventurer. He's going to, he's a ship in every port kind of guy. You know yeah, what I'm saying? I... You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I just ship in every port, huh? That's <laughs> but um, yeah, it just like it it doesn't it doesn't make it doesn't make me care. And I I get what what else they're trying to set up here is that she like Bess uh, played by um Abby Cornish, who I think also does a pretty good job here. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody's doing fine. I think just the characters are so underwritten. Look, they all need a paycheck. That's right. <laughs> Jason's very diplomatic. Yeah, <laughs> I understand. You got to do what you got to do, folks. Um, but Abby Cornish, like she, so so she, um, she kind of represents also what Elizabeth would like to be able to do, right? Because she can go out there and she can do basically whatever. I mean, she still has to get permission to marry. She still has to get her blessing, you know, to have a child and stuff like that. But she's kind of able to. She has a lot more freedom. Yeah. Um, and I get that. That's, so I think the idea is that Clive Owen kind of sees her as that version of Elizabeth. And I think that's why they hook up. Yeah. But again, yeah. it doesn't, it's not really, it, it's, it's just not there. Like it's just no, I don't want it to be spelled out. 
Yeah. Because there are moments in this movie that really spell it out. There's literally a moment in this movie where um, she says to Jeffrey Rush or the queen says to Jeffrey Rush, well, you only talk about the possible and I love the impossible. That's what makes us different. Uh-huh. And I'm like, fuck you, movie. I don't need it spelled out. <laughs> so there's moments like that. But then the other stuff is just like there's nothing to really suggest that. I'm just making up a theory here because this movie's giving me nothing. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what else to say to that, man. It's just, fuck, what? Why? Why? Why do we all do this? Why was the time wasted? Like, again, not that this is a bad production or anything, but why did why did anybody think? I mean, ultimately, this movie did make, uh, what, like 20 million bucks at the box office, say, profit. Well, this, this let's, let's take a look here. This movie, I do have the numbers here. Just I'm crunching them right now, Jason. Okay. Yeah, you're right. This movie cost $55 million to make. And it made 75.8. So you know what? Honestly, though, that I don't think they profited because no, you got to no. think some of that's going to come from worldwide. And also you, you, that's not taking into account the marketing budget. Um, yeah. The original film was much more profitable. And, and yeah, again, well, it was an this... Oscar nominee. Like, it, I mean, this one was, too, I think, for costumes and stuff. But like the other one was a big time Oscar prestige film when it came out. You're you're also making this nine years after the original film. Like, what are yeah. we doing? What like, are we doing? Who was clamoring for the sequel to uh, uh, this story? Like, I'm I'm not I'm not against doing this story again or or finding a different way to approach the story of Queen Elizabeth the First. But why specifically a sequel to this specific movie? <laughs> and why this plot, which is almost entirely historically inaccurate? Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, like. Like to the point, even the Armada itself, like the attack in the Armada, like there were little things that uh, pissed me off that annoyed. Like one of the things that just is so just out there is the fact that at one point during the attack, you hear one of the sailors go, uh, we've lost too many ships already. The funny thing about history is that when the when the English attacked the Spanish Armada, they didn't lose any ships because they had these super fast uh, ships that could stay outside the close range capacity of the big Spanish ships and just ping them. Right. So mm -hmm. like they, they, when that, when that battle happened, like, yeah, the English didn't lose any ships. The only ships the English lost were the specific fire ships that they set up, which we see in the movie of them just dumping all the, the flammable stuff and just packing a ship to the gills and setting it on fire. They, they lost eight of those, but <laughs> like, you can't even portray the attack correctly. Like you, you think, is it one of those things like in that, uh, that, um, the gangster movie where people wouldn't believe it if they said they didn't lose any ships. Like what was that? The public enemies where he takes the people hostage. He gets, takes like four people hostage in the movie, but in real life he actually took like 15 people hostage. Um, I don't remember public enemies at all. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> well I don't even think I saw it, but it's just that, that incident with John Dillinger, he, he used a gun made of soap. He carved it out of soap and he oh, took 15 yeah, yeah, people, yeah. he took 15 people in the prison hostage with this soap gun. And in the movie, it's like four people because they didn't think anybody believed he, he managed to take 15 people hostage. That's insane. What? <laughs> yeah. so they didn't think people would believe a thing that actually happened. Nope. Nope. That's the thing about real life is that uh, often it's, it's unbelievable, right? I mean, how do you think Tiger King is doing so well right now? God damn, what a ride. But this isn't the Tiger King podcast. This <laughs> no, is the it isn't. Podcast. As much as I would like it to be. Um, <laughs> no, and, and so I've got like a, I've, I've got some, a list here, literally, Jason, literally a list of stuff sure. that was like inaccurate. Um, but first I want to say that even the, even the film's lead actress, Kate Blanchett, was it what said in an interview, she said, it's terrifying that we are growing up with this very illiterate bunch of children who are somehow being taught that film is fact when in fact yeah. it's invention. 
Yeah, and and I'm not saying that a film is, should be required to be historically inaccurate because at the end of the day, when you're making a movie, it's about making a good movie, and and if that means uh, messing messing with some you know details, so be it. But it's yeah, exactly. Is that there's too many people that think like, oh, we're having history class, let's watch this movie, and then don't take the time to give the context of of what was changed and what actually happened. Well, and that's why I think I think I kind of knocked Elizabeth like the previous one for the same thing for mm-hmm. presenting itself as more of a historical piece which yeah. i thought i thought made the historical inaccuracies a bit more egregious yeah um whereas something like shakespeare in love which is like this is a fun comedy we're obviously yeah. toying around with this it's Clearly. not as it's not as much you're like oh okay well it's not going to be completely accurate whatever it's 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 far especially with the difference being that shakespeare in love is a comedy it's far easier to take that stuff in a comedy than it is in a in a serious drama yeah, so I mean, let's just go through a few of these. You already mentioned one that I actually had written down was the the one about the Spanish Armada. Mm. Um, also in relation to the Spanish Armada, they kind of make it seem like Walter Raleigh, uh, the character portrayed by Clive Owen, that he's like the major figure that you know causes the defeat. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they don't mention like Sir Francis Drake or anybody else. <laughs> like they leave a lot of people out. Yeah. Um. But I mean, at this point, the movie's kind of overstuffed with characters. Imagine if they jam more in there. Yeah. Um. There's a there's a moment here where Elizabeth meets her uh, her astrologist, Doctor D. What? I I just laughed. Oh yeah. (laughs) Doctor D is a funny name to me. (laughs) Um. Real person, but he was not um back on the continent for more than a year after the defeat of the Armada, so he wasn't even there. Yeah. Um, actually, uh, William Cecil is omitted from the movie altogether, but she, he was still her main advisor. Ah, that's right. Was that, um, it was Richard Attenborough, Richard Attenborough. Oh. Um, one of the guys in the Babington plot, Robert Reston, I'm not sure which character that, I think that's the blonde dude, but anyway, he's completely fictional. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see here. There's, there's a few more things here. Uh, the Babington plot didn't never got to the point where you know Eddie Redmayne shows up and actually shoots. It yeah. never got to that point. Uh, it was uh, it was thwarted while it was still being planned. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and that and that figures into another historical inaccuracy, which I'll mention. You probably haven't written down is that uh, that plot happens. The, the Mary Queen of Scots is charged with treason, and then it's like 40 years or something before she's executed. It's a long time. I mean, maybe not yeah. 40. It's a while. <laughs> 40 years, or in this movie, what, three minutes? <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. She's not, an, what does it say, 19 years, sorry, 19 years before execution at age of 44. So. Um, in, in the, at this point, Elizabeth would have been 52, which she is definitely not presented as oh, such. 52 uh, years, 1588 or whatever this is, did not look like that. No. Um, the the daughter of the of Philip II um, is portrayed as a child. In reality, she was about 21. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why the hell um, does she have a fucking Queen Elizabeth doll? That doesn't make any fucking sense. Well, yeah, let's okay. You know what? Let's talk about the doll. <laughs> <laughs> like, like so is she like a we, merchandise thing in Europe for the aristocrats? Like, you get a Queen Elizabeth doll. It's like a PR outreach by the British government. <laughs> yeah, with every box of Wheaties. Or the, sorry, the English government. I guess they're still just England at this point. Whoa! So because she had that in Spain, does that mean that she was like a rebel? Yeah, I guess. Shit, Jason. Wow, man. So yeah. let's 
yeah, let's talk about it. So Philip II, played by the drug dealer in Bad Boys 2. Which, by the um, way, I didn't remember him from Bad Boys 2. It's been a very long time since I saw Bad Boys 2. But I, I thought this guy made a good uh, good villain. Like, a, like they really cast him as a villainous kind of – and it wasn't even that he was particularly evil or anything. It was just the way he looked, the way he acted, the things he said, how he said them, you know, those sorts of things. But, like, it's just – he and he, and he had this pal, pallor to him. Like, he just seemed kind of sweaty all the time, like maybe a tuberculosis or something. I don't know. But well, he just he just seemed, like, a bit unhinged. The thing, too, though, with the villains in this movie is they might as well be twirling their mustaches on screen. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they yeah. are so over-the-top evil. Yeah, and, and normally I'm not one to listen to the concerns of something like the Catholic League, but, you know, the Catholics were concerned that this movie maybe was a bit anti-Catholic, and, and some of them saying it was the most anti-Catholic movie they'd ever seen. And while I certainly don't think it's probably the most anti-Catholic movie ever made, there certainly is a view that cast Catholics as the villains in this movie. Well, I have a whole... I was oh, just going to say that's kind of the traditional, you know, the traditional view in English history, certainly. So this is definitely the tack that this movie is taken is from a traditional English view of their own history. But, yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> oh, do you mean do you mean it's because in this movie they basically say every Catholic is an assassin out to get Queen Elizabeth? <laughs> yeah, well, it might have something to do with that. Well, Jason, I mean, I have a whole section on this, so why don't we just get into this now? Yeah, let's because, talk about it. Because um, there's a film critic who, say, who kind of compared this movie to The Da Vinci Code. And said the climax of this movie, a weekly stage destruction of the Spanish Armada, is a crescendo of church bashing imagery. Rosaries floating amid burning flotsam, inverted crucifixes sinking to the bottom of the ocean, the rows of ominous, uh, berobed cler- clerics slinking away in defeat. Pound for pound, minute by minute, Elizabeth the Golden Age could possibly contain more sustained church bashing than any other film I can think of. How is it possible that this orgy of anti-Catholicism has been all but ignored by most critics? Yeah, um, well, that's good. to be fair, though, that's also kind of what it was like in England at that time if you were a Protestant. I mean, and mm-hmm. certainly there was a very large contingent of Catholics in the country, possibly as much as half, I believe they say in the movie. Um and and this is oh, it's one of the things I hate about this period is just the, the the terrible sectarian violence between faiths that are so so just not that different from each other altogether. It's literally like structural issues yep. uh, that separate them at that point, and and it just seems all so fucking stupid and silly. But we also have to consider too that through history since the Protestant Reformation, like. Uh, the Catholic Church has been demonized by Protestants in in ways like basically giving it this kind of mystical feel and like that it's like like it's the fucking Masons or something like that. There are these secret rituals and these hidden archives, which is, you know, I'm, to be fair, probably true. Uh, <laughs> but it uh, it has been a long, longstanding trope to go after the Catholics by the Protestants, especially in the U.S. back in the 1800s. There was a whole like anti-Catholic parties and shit. Sounds like could you drink at this party? Uh, probably not. Oh, well, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm a Catholic then. No, there you go. (laughs) Well, the administrator of the Westminster Cathedral was criticized by some Roman Catholics because he actually allowed Elizabeth the Golden Age to have scenes shot there and praised the film as a must-see. However, after some scrutiny from people, he said, oh, it does appear to perpetuate the myth of killer priests. Yeah. Um, there was, there was, uh. Priests aren't killers, Brendan, they're lovers. Uh huh. Oh God. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's more. I think that might be worse. Yeah. I don't know. Well, possibly. <laughs> there was another. There was another historian named Franco Cardini, 
who said that the film formed part of a concerted attack on Catholicism, the Holy See, and Papism by an alliance of atheists and apocalyptic Christians. That Why seems put a out... bit much. Hold on. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. <laughs> okay. Why put out this perverse anti-Catholic propaganda today just at the moment when we are trying desperately to revive our Western identity in the face of the Islamic threat? Yeah, all right. There we go. <laughs> there <laughs> so we it gets are. A little there insane. it is. Would you, okay. like to hear, would you like to hear the um, the director's response to all of this? Uh, I hope it's just uh, a middle finger. <laughs> no, he, he, he get a little wordy. Um, so the director, Shekhar Kapoor, uh, the same director of the original film, he said, it is actually very, very deeply non-anti-Catholic. It is anti-extreme forms of religion. At that time, the church in Spain had said that they were going to turn the whole world into a very pure form of Catholicism. So it's not anti-Catholic. It's anti an interpretation of the word of God that was that is singular as against what Elizabeth's was, which was to look upon her faith as concomitant. Okay. The fact is that the Pope ordered her execution. He said that anybody who executes or assassinates Elizabeth would find a beautiful place in the kingdom of heaven. Where else have you heard these words about Salman Khan and, or Salman Rushdie? That's why I made this film. So this idea of a rift between Catholicism and Protestants does not arise. My interpretation of Elizabeth is an interpretation of greater tolerance than Philip, which is absolutely true. It's completely true that she had this kind of feminine energy. It's a conflict between Philip, who had no ability to encompass diversity or contradiction, and Elizabeth, who had the feminine ability to ability to do that. Okay, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> I mean, oh. that's a reasonable explanation from where he's coming from. That his the position of the movie is more against extremism than it is against uh, Catholicism. I it's an interesting, yeah. It's 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 a it's a familiar argument. Not not necessarily with Catholicism necessarily, but there's a lot of play. There's a lot of things where it's like you know, movies are accused of being exploitive of a certain subject, and the director will often come back and saying, "No, it's not exploitive. It's criticizing the exploitation." You know what I mean? Or it's criticizing the worst form of this. Yeah. What else? Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, much like the director of The Haunting of Sharon Tate who yeah. claimed that he was paying tribute to the victims by making a schlocky horror movie about Sharon Tate. Yeah. I, I would remind people, too, that this this movie takes place 100 years after the formation of the Spanish Inquisition, uh, famously not super tolerant, and, and uh, were out, you know, basically purifying the population by looking for heretics and Jews and, and Muslims and anybody who didn't fit their specific definition of, of Catholicism. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was not exactly a, a great place to be if you weren't a Catholic. Yeah. No, it was not. Yeah, the but Spanish also, are... It was tough being a Catholic in England at that time because you had a Protestant queen, so... Well, and I mean, I'm going to play a little bit of the scene at the beginning, though, because it kind of establishes that... Uh, I think this kind of goes back on that argument about the anti-Catholicism, because this is basically Elizabeth talking, you know, to her advisors... Um, as they, as they warn her, you know, there's a lot of Catholics that want you dead. There's a lot of Catholics that don't believe you're the queen, etc. What, what should we do with it? And she basically says, well, I'm not going to hang half of England. That's, you know, half of England is our Catholics. So let's just listen to this uh, brief little discussion here. We know the Catholics take their orders from Spain. The Spanish speak openly of Mary Stuart as queen of England in waiting. Their loyalty is to the Pope in Rome. How many Catholics are there in England, sir? <laughs> Immense numbers, Majesty. Half the nation cling to the old superstitions. What would you have me do? Hang half the people of England or just imprison them? 
We must act, Majesty. Our inaction is perceived as weakness. If my people break the law, they shall be punished. Until that day, they shall be protected. Majesty, we have proven reason to fear every Catholic in the fear land. Fear creates fear. I am not ignorant of the dangers, sir. But I will not punish my people for their beliefs, only for their deeds. I'm assured that the people of England love their queen. My constant endeavor is to earn that love. So you see what I mean? Like she, she's, she's right away at the onset of the movie, kind of pushing that back. Like no, no, I'm not anti-Cath. Like I'm, I'm a Protestant. And because her thing in the original movie that they pointed out was that she kind of wanted like some harmony, right? Yeah. She didn't yeah. want necessarily to drive out the Catholics, like. And at least as far as the movie goes now, as far as history goes, we could probably argue about how tolerant she actually was. Uh, she clearly was not on the level of previous people that were just willing to like, you know, go out and just murder Catholics in the street. But I think we just <laughs> I think we just uh, explained, Jason, that this movie was 100 percent historically accurate. Yeah, well, that's true. That's true. Much but... like the film, The Human Centipede is 100 percent medically accurate as listed on the DVD cover. Yes. Well, I mean, I've looked it up in the the dsm is that what it's called yeah it's it's mm-hmm. right in there it's right right under uh uh, uh what's why did i just lose the name of the movie human, human centipede. centipede it's right there under h there you go um also a couple of language things and accent things in this movie mary queen of scots is depicted as having a scottish accent when she would have had a french accent probably yeah. Um. And then the other thing was that Elizabeth speaks German at one point. She probably didn't. Uh, there's no evidence that Elizabeth was ever taught German. Yeah. Like at, at some point, the British royals start to learn German because they end up getting married into them. But uh, that's mm-hmm. not till probably 200 years after this. Yeah. This movie, the, the history stuff is just all over the place. There, yeah. That is one. That is one scene that I do really like. There is a scene where the um. So there's a scene where she's basically meeting with suitors. And again, it's a, it's also was done in the original movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of funny, and we have that bit where the guy from Austria who speaks very broken English is like trying to woo her. Yes, and he's like, "Hello, Elizabeth, your beauty is amazing," and she's just kind of like being polite and smiling <laughs> along with him. Oh, Elizabeth, was... your love is like a truck, berserker. Oh, Would my... you like to making fuck, berserker? <laughs> For my Kevin Smith fans out there, yeah, mall rats, right? No, asshole. (laughs) Yeah, but you know, and also I wanted to point out too, like like many things, it's a wonderful stereotype that we get to see uh, occasionally in these movies. The the fey Austrian aristocrat, who's you know he's 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 worth a lot of money, and he's from uh, you know a foreign uh, place, but he's also kind of a weenie. Oh, the, are we talking about the one who barely speaks English? Yes, yes, yes. He's he's very much a weenie. He is kind of a weenie. I do like that she basically, um, and again, I know it's not historically accurate, but she speaks in German um, to basically tell him, like, I know you don't actually want to be here. And he's like, oh, you're very wise. <laughs> <laughs> she is. He's like, like, basically, I'm just as uncomfortable <laughs> as you are right now. <laughs> yeah. It's probably gay. I have to assume. They all were. Austrian dukes. Come on. Wow. Everybody knew it. Nobody said yeah. anything about it, but everybody Why knew it. Why didn't anybody say anything? Well, you know, they wanted to keep doing it, right? They didn't want the church to find out because the church was doing their own thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The church didn't want them to find out about their things. They didn't want to ruin their thing. 
Did you find that this movie was like a combination of like a tropey action movie combined with a teen drama movie? Well, I felt like the, 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 the teen drama part of it was more like the first like three quarters of it. And then we get yeah. a little action movie shit in the end. And then they, yeah, they just like they almost just completely drop it. <laughs> like I, I almost feel like like they built this movie. It's like we're going to make this movie for couples. So the, the first uh, 45 minutes minutes of it will be all the stuff the lady likes. And then once we get to the end, we'll leave them with a battle. So the fellows will be happy. Well, it's almost like they tried to make like a four quadrants movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, like oh we got the we got the the dudes and now we got the girls gotta get something in for the kids put some put some funny jokes or something in every eddie once redmay. in a while that's why eddie redmay was in the movie to get the kids in yeah because kids knew who he was well kids love assassins is what i've uh, learned oh okay like monk assassins uh, and but really any sort of assassin uh, usually oh. uh, especially if they're wearing a robe of some sort and monk assassins fit right in that is that why Assassin's Creed made like a billion dollars at the box office? That, that's one of the many facets of the Assassin phenomenon, certainly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Watch out for the sequels, guys. JK, that movie did horrible. I mean, isn't James Bond really just uh, 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 an assassin that it has not the greatest aim? Well, you know, it's funny because you say that kids love assassins, and, I mean, there's that long-standing rumor that they were going to replace Captain Kangaroo with Roger Moore for the longest time. <laughs> that I would want to see. I would <laughs> want to see. I absolutely would want to see that. <laughs> How would that go, Jason? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, I, Jesus, a Roger Moore. Hello, kids. Welcome to my playhouse. <laughs> I think I think Roger Moore would be more down here, but I'm not quite there yet. That's bad, Roger Moore. I'm just, just turning into a guy now. I'm just some guy now. Oh no! Get out of my way, Roger! I'm co-hosting this thing. It's much easier to do me than anybody else, since we all watched Saturday Night Live when we were teenagers. Ha, Trebek! Now let's talk about what you do when you're with a woman. No, cut the feet. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that Captain Kangaroo episode never aired. No. Yeah, it's really sad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just think so about Elizabeth the Golden Age. Yeah, blood for blood. Woo. Uh, what? Blood for blood. The guy at one point, the Spanish guy, he's like, blood for blood. They they killed they killed our queen uh, Mary of Scots, so we're gonna go kill them, and then they send the armada after them. I mean, I guess we didn't really break down the plot like we normally do, uh, but I, we what, also what, said what it's the same plot. It's basically there's there's shit that happens and everybody's mad and then there's some fighting and then there's a speech. He gives a speech in this one, which is quite nice, uh, uh, near the end in front of a, a bunch of troops. And I was like, did that really happen? And I guess it did. You know uh, what? Let's take a listen. My loving people. We see the sails of the enemy approaching. We hear the Spanish guns over the water. Soon now, we will meet them face to face. I am resolved in the midst and heat of the battle to live or die amongst you all! again in heaven 
are on the field of victory. Ah, I feel roused. Do you feel roused? I feel aroused. Well, I mean, yes, obviously. You can't I mean, not. I mean, that her hair in that scene. Oh. Yes, beautiful hair, beautiful armor. Mm. If I was standing there, I'd have been all like, ding! <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. Well, you just jo- if you're just joining us, uh, this is two gross dudes be gross <laughs> with each other when we're talking just about ladies. Part- just what the podcast worlding needs. We just the podcast worlding, the podcasting world. No, you got it right. The podcast worlding. <laughs> um, yeah, no, there, that that speech it's well performed and it's it's uh, you know it's shot fairly well. Although, yeah. did you think did you think that while they were shooting that scene, that horse did not want to be there? Yeah, I wonder if it was the same. Was it a white horse? Mm-hmm. She on a white horse. Was it the same horse that was also on the boat? That jumped uh, off, but 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 the horse lived, and it was very it was made very clear to us that the horse that was on the boat and scared jumped off the boat and swam away and lived. Don't you love when they movies go to that <laughs> go to that effort to? It's like, show oh yeah, that? all these all these uh, all these English sailors got slaughtered, and and British sailors got slaughtered, but or not British sailors, uh, Spanish sailors got slaughtered, but uh, yeah, the horse horse made it away. Yeah, goddamn right, I don't care about the people that got slaughtered. Just let the animals live. <laughs> they wouldn't want people to leave the movie sad. Right. <laughs> it's like it's like the opposite of when I watched that like I watched like the 1940s version of Swiss Family Robinson and I'm like I just watching yeah. like the distress that the animals are in I'm like oh my god all those animals died on the set. Quick side question uh that movie what's the what's what's the racism level on like that movie because I feel like that's a movie that could have some racist shit in it. Uh, uh, not any because there are no people of color in it. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> um there is some rampant sexism though. <laughs> Oh, obviously. I mean, what is that from? Like the 40s? 50s? Yeah, 40s. 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 There's yeah. a 60s one on there too that I'm interested. In. Uh, might be 50s. Disney Plus, ladies and gentlemen, check it out. A lot, a lot of ladies being called dames and broads, I imagine. A lot of <laughs> I'm the husband and the ruler of this land, and you have to go make the food kind of thing. You mean the Swiss Family Robinson aren't a family of gangsters? Uh, I've, we've got, we have to talk. Yeah, we're stuck in the ass island, see, and we need to get off. <laughs> Yeah, it then turned into the movie Shutter Island, <laughs> oh. where actually his family was not there at all. <laughs> oh. Um, but yeah, so uh, funny enough, I wrote down when it was when I was putting all that uh, all that all the chirons on the screen about Spain. I really wrote down England versus Spain, Sunday, 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 because it felt very <laughs> like these. Are, it felt very like these are the villains. These are the good guys. We're in. Well, if, if if you look at history as like a roadmap, this was a uh, you know this was an interesting point because this was on the road to the eventual peace at Westphalia in the 1600s, which was a big deal because that was the end of the Thirty Years' War, but it was also the end of a lot of wars, including this one, which I think was called the Eighty Years' War. All these European wars of religion, I believe they call it, they're, they're called like they've been going on for many years since kind of the breakdown of the Holy Roman Empire. This was this was kind of in the home stretch of this all finally getting solved <laughs> somewhat by the peace at Westphalia. And then nothing bad ever happened again in Europe. Ever. <laughs> ever. For some reason, when I, when you said that, I just wanted to make a stupid joke like, why did you go east? Did the Westphalia? <laughs> <laughs> Wagons east, my friend. Wagons east. <laughs> oh, God. You mean the is that the, the Chris Farley movie? John Candy? Movie? Oh, that's John Candy movie. Chris Farley. You're thinking of uh, uh, the one with Matthew Perry. Almost is, heroes. Yeah, that's the one. Similarly, why why do why do fat 
comedians on heroin and I guess John Candy wasn't on heroin. Why do fat comedians die in Western movies? Wait, this sounds like a terrible joke. <laughs> <laughs> because they're fat. the other side. What? I said because they're fat. Hmm. And as a fat guy, I feel comfortable saying that. Okay, fair enough. What what did you think about the flippant uh, kind of treatment they give the natives in this movie? The natives? You didn't notice the scene where Clive Owen, like, brings these two natives? Uh, yeah, they were, I mean, yeah, the, you're right, they were there. That was a, you know, they brought them back as prizes, essentially. <laughs> well, and there's a line you can hear in the background where someone's just like, oh, how do I get me two of those natives? Yeah, yeah. So I want a native. It reminds me of... Uh, and that, my not, friend, is the birth of the transatlantic slave trade. <laughs> not the... Um, it doesn't remind me, like, specifically of the... Of, like, you know, it's not exactly the same, but it kind of reminds me of that attitude from Darling. Remember Darling when she's like, Oh, honey, there's some colored boys are having a party upstairs. Did you know that there's colored people in this apartment? It's ever so grand. Yeah, it's like they're talking about fucking pets. It's like they're talking about, like, a whole different species of, of, of uh, animal, and they treat them as such. Right. Whether that's, as as you would say, to treat like an animal, treat them poorly, or even to treat them well, they're still treating them like animals. Mm-hmm. I wrote down Kate uh, Blanchett had a had a stunt butt at one time, at one point. Ooh. Because uh, I'm pretty sure, that? based on the nature of the cutting, that that was not her butt. Oh, okay. But... Well, it's unfortunate. We saw her boobs in the other one, so who knows? That's true. That's true. We did get that, and we we are we are thankful. <laughs> we are gross again. We are gross. <laughs> oh, we just we know what we like. Yeah. We yeah. likes what we see, and we see what we likes. Sometimes you gotta call that spade a spade when you see it. That's right. You don't call it a club because guess what? It's not a club. It's a spade. Spades a spade, and a club's a club, and a heart's a heart, and a diamond's a diamond. And that's how we play fucking cards. Another thing, too, um, I think it's the thing you kind of touched upon this a little bit at the beginning is that it looks nice because I oh. think that we need to say that the production design in this movie is just as good as the original film. Oh, yeah. They they, they spent their money well and got beautiful costumes, beautiful sets, some pretty good effect scenes. Even the like clearly CG uh, Spanish Armada scenes are, are not bad. You know, they're not bad, but they're so like just milk toast. Yeah. Yeah, like they're, they're so they, just stock action scenes. And they're very limited, and you don't get a real sense of like the actual conflict that's going on. And that's a problem in a lot of movies, because they just don't have the resources to portray a battle like that the way you'd actually want to see it on screen and get a real sense of how it worked. But it's, you know, like, it's also less relevant to what's going on. Yeah, it's like it's not to the extent of a Michael Bay movie, but it does remind me of Michael Bay in a way where he has these big extravagant action scenes. Mm. But you don't care because the reason behind it is not interesting. Yeah. It's and I think that's I think that's the Spanish Armada scene. Like you said, there's not enough context. There's not enough like anything that's really given to you to make you really care about what happens. And you're just kind of like, oh, ships blowing up and stuff. Yeah. You're you're left with a cool a couple of really cool shots of ships firing their guns and and blowing up and guys losing their legs and shit. You know. Yeah. 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 But the and and but I th- I did think one thing that I thought thought was really different here is I feel like Shekhar Kapoor like the director here or I guess you know his cinematographer as well um didn't like really make this look as unique as the first one did like there's not a lot of like cool like sweeping shots I feel like this one is shot much more like a stuffy costume drama yeah yeah like I, yeah exactly I, there wasn't really the kind of edgier uh camera moves and such that there were in the previous one like how we had that kind of samo cam in the beginning of elizabeth where it like pushes into what's going on and like that was a weird thing to see in a movie 
there was like a historical drama. It was kind of neat, but no, nothing really like that. Yeah, exactly. It's almost like it's weird. It's almost like the studio pressured him not to do that or something. Like it just it, it just feels very like a lot more point and shoot. Yeah, very conventional. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with being conventional. I mean, if if the movie uh, is fine with it, great. But like, I mean, you don't have not not everything has to be behind enemy lines with the camera spinning all the time. While you're standing in the woods. While you're standing in the woods, exactly. <laughs> if you want to check out the discussion on that, check out What Were They Thinking? The episode is Behind Enemy Lines. Jason's on it. We had a lot of fun, so uh, you will too. Yeah, that's a, that's a promise from Jason. And if you don't, you can uh, just retweet Jason and uh, include your Cash App uh, name, and he will send you $20. Uh, I will not do that. That uh, is but include your cash app name. It'd be kind of cool to know what your cash app name is, just because if I did have extra money, I would think about maybe sending it to you, and then I wouldn't. <laughs> well, that that you don't get that kind of commitment from too many other people in this world, nope, guys. You do not. That is a guarantee. Guarantee. Um. Yeah. So the pacing sucks. <laughs> mm. I thought it was all over the place. Early in the film, I actually uh, uh, had to catch myself because I, I accidentally started reading about the English Civil War, uh, which happens like 50 years, 75 years after this, and then was like, oh, no, I'm watching a movie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like, again, it's not that I'm averse to like a romantic subplot. I think it's worked in so many of the movies we've talked about. Actually, many of the movies we've talked about, um, you know, barring the English patient. Um <laughs> Yeah. But like it's worked way it was in the original Elizabeth. It was fun in Shakespeare and Love. It was, you know, there's there's great like I mean in a different tone, but I mean you had like we watched movies like This Sporting Life, Saturday Night and Sunday Morning. So it's not like it's an unheard of thing. Like I do enjoy that aspect of a plot. It's just that when you give me when you give us nothing to kind of go with, when you have yeah. Clive Owen playing this dull as dishwater character. <laughs> yeah. It's just, just like should be a roguish, like fun kind of guy. You should be. I mean, I'm not saying that Walter Raleigh necessarily was that, but it, like the archetype of that is that he's kind of Han Solo, right? I, I keep bringing Han Solo up, but like he's such a great example of like with that archetype. And this guy doesn't really do any of that. There's and no. You tra- have, yeah, and you have Clive Owen. Yeah. You have a guy oh, that oh, radiates oh. that. Yeah. Exactly. It just feels like such a wasted opportunity. I actually, I actually, when we, when we were going to do this movie and you know, this movie has like a 34% on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. Like credit from critics. Um, audience rating is about 59%. So I feel like maybe the, I don't know, I guess they're into it a little bit more, but, um, I remember looking at that and seeing like, well, Clive Owens in it. I mean, at least that'll be like a bright spot in the movie, but it really isn't. And it's not his fault. It's just, there's, he's got nothing. Yeah. Nothing to do. It's it's almost like the opposite thing where in a lot of movies you have like the female love interest who is very underwritten. It's like that in this movie, but with the male love interest. Yeah. Well, hey, women are equals now and they can also have underwritten love interests. Awesome. As as far as I'm concerned, Brendan, as far as I'm concerned, and I'll I'll say it to anybody that'll listen. Jason's going on one of his feminist rants here. <laughs> and I don't mean to get off on a rant here, ladies, but it's about time you broads assert your rights. Thank you, Dennis. <laughs> Chachi. <laughs> cha cha cha. <laughs> um, the, oh, the, the the last thing I, I mean, I, the last thing I want to point out anyway, we'll we'll kind of collect our comments here at the end. Um, did you get a? I, I know I said this in Lawrence after Arabia, and I'm going back to it. 
I got sure. a I got a chemistry a, a vibe of uh, some you know something more than a head maiden queen relationship between Elizabeth and Bess. Mm, if only. I mean, I'm just I'm just saying there it felt like it. It felt like they pushed it a little bit. Yeah, I, I I got that too, but I always have to ask, like, is this just, like, literally, is this just wishful thinking as part of my male brain, or is this literally something they are trying to, you know, uh, have come through? I don't so, know, man. Let's, let's take a listen to this scene, because this is Elizabeth, like, she's getting, like, a bath, hmm. and she's speaking to Bess about, you know, about uh, Walter Raleigh, but it sounds like she's speaking to her about her. I hope you believe I like you for yourself, my lady. Is anyone ever liked simply for themselves? I doubt it. You? Men like you. Because you're pretty. And because you have the ear of the queen. No doubt. Him too. He likes you because he wants my favor. You do realize that? Yes, my lady. And the other thing, too, of course. But then all men want that. Male desire implies no distinction. Oh, I envy you, Bess. You're free to have what I cannot have. You're my adventurer. So yeah, she says like, you know, you're very pretty and you could have anyone and you have the queen's ear and blah, blah, blah. And they get very close. And I honestly thought it was going to happen there. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and I'm not even saying it as a guy. I just feel like it was, it was there. I feel like there was something, I feel like they, they hinted at it a little bit. Well, this, this certainly, you know, the last I mean, 20 years have been a period where this is certainly a more acceptable thing to uh, uh, put in movies, thankfully. I'm not saying they went uh, 100% the favorite. No. But <laughs> it was it was definitely, uh, I think it was I definitely alluded that, to. Apparently. Um, yeah, you should. Not only that, but it is actually a really good movie. Yeah. So you should see it. Because it presents history, um, it presents all of these people as very, very dirty-minded and vulgar, which is probably what they were. <laughs> yeah. No, that, I think you're absolutely right. I think that history, because we just – history has long had this separation between what is considered proper and what you print <laughs> and what is like how people just talk and are. And it was it's only been in literally the last like 200 years that we've really seen like more people willing to like print or, or, or portray how people actually talk and, and act and speak in real life. Right. Yeah, I like. I, 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 there's a wonderful subreddit I follow called Obscure Media, and they have these really neat things and uh, that they post like just weird obscure shit. And one of them was this dude that had gotten a hold of a, a recording system from a gas station from the 50s. It was like an audio recording system that they had. I don't know if it was for security or what, but it's just conversations of Southern guys talking in the early 50s, and it's fascinating to listen just to the, you know, just real people talking like they did, and, and you know, swearing and being racist and. <laughs> doing the things that they would talk, but just hearing it be real. It's it's really fascinating. Hmm. Is that still available? Oh yeah, you can find that online. It's uh if you go to the obscure media subreddit, it's in there somewhere. I will have to check that out. Yeah. Sounds that sounds crazy. I, I don't, um I don't remember what my point was of that. I just uh, kinda got off on that. <laughs> I think I think what you're saying is we we 
the way we kind of um, I, I'm I'm jumping the gun here, but I'm I think you're saying the way we kind of represent language in movies, especially period pieces, mm. is not altogether authentic. No, I think we kind of flowered it up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we we always do, and and we always like again we we're basing on what's been written down and recorded and stuff, and yeah, yeah. You, you don't have direct transcriptions of the 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 king throwing a a, a swearing fit. Uh, right. Although they although they did try very hard with the madness of King George to portray that accurately, <laughs> I mean it's another great movie. I mean oh, I shouldn't say another another great movie, but it's a great that movie. movie. Watch that if you have to watch, watch that. that or Elizabeth the Golden Age. Come on, there's no question. Watch watch Madness King. Like honestly, watch Elizabeth. Yeah. Watch Shakespeare in Love. Sure. All good movies. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's all I really have about that. Do you have anything else you want to add before we move on to the, um, critique section? Yeah, let's, uh, let's take a minute just to stop over to, uh, is Jason overreading this or, or overreading into this corner? Okay. Um, wait, wait a, what is the game show called again? Uh, is Jason overreading into this? Okay. I thought you were going to say, is Jason an asshole? Cause I remember you played <laughs> that game before. Well, that's that's not today. That well, that may come back at some point if I think I'm being an asshole. But this is not me being an asshole. This is just me maybe reading into something too much. So, oh, okay. This, the the scene where um, Francis and the Queen are discussing, uh, or rather arguing, really, over Mary's execution. Mm-hmm. They're kind of they're they're displaying the the push and pull between the monarch and between Parliament and the law, right? Um, and She's arguing that that she doesn't want to uh, execute her because she doesn't want to be a monster. But at the same time, he's saying this is the law. This has to be done. And the law, she said like something like, I don't know, she said, I am the law or something like that. But he said, <laughs> I believe sure that was the line. I am the law. He says the law is for the protection of your people. And I think this is uh, maybe a foreshadowing to the later English Civil War because – uh, and that is a very complicated conflict of which I have so – I've tried to understand, but it, it, it's really tough. But I think ultimately it, it came down to that the king at the time wanted more direct personal rule, whereas the people that were in parliament were like, no, you have to consult parliament. And that was the essential conflict that led to it. So this push and pull between the monarch and the, the, and the, the, the state, as it were – you see that in that scene and it's yeah i think it's foreshadowing what comes later in history and i i do um i do kind of like that um that whole bit there because it leads to like she eventually agrees that she has to execute mary queen of scots right yes um who again is is very much like uh like philip ii a mustache twirling villain yes (laughs) Um, absolutely (laughs) <laughs> but when but when she decides like to do it, that ends up, you know, inciting the rage of Philip II to, yeah. uh, you know, that gives him the reason to kind of launch his holy war yeah. and his uh, Spanish Armada fleet. And what I think is interesting is that um, you have Walsingham, like Jeffrey Rush, feeling like he kind of failed at advising her to do that, right? Because it was a trap that he pulled himself into. It was basically all set up so that when he did it, then they had their reason to start their crusade against right. England. Exactly. And I kind of like in that sense, I like, I mean, I said, I think we said his character doesn't, isn't given really the same. It doesn't feel like the same character, but I do like that kind of arc yeah. um, where he kind of makes that mistake. And then like, what do you see shortly after that? You see him on his deathbed. Yeah. So it's like that once he kind of, I'm not saying that like was the thing that killed him, but it's interesting that they go from that, his like first real big mistake yeah. to that's the end of his life. 
yeah, that he kind of finally realized he was mortal. He, he'd spent so many years managing exactly. to like stay alive and stay in power and and get done what he needed to get do, and finally it all kind of comes crashing down on him because he just wasn't. He missed something. He just missed something. And well, that was enough to get him killed. It's well, not like, killed, like, but like <laughs> enough to get him fucked over. Like the song says, when it comes crashing down and it hurts inside. Ba 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 ba. You gotta be a man. It don't hurt to hide. Da 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 da. Well, you hurt my friends and you hurt my pride. <laughs> you gotta get down, son. Gotta get inside, my. Uh, oh, okay. Oh, I mean, uh, was that a different version? Nope, you nailed it. Um. Oh. <laughs> all right. Uh, so was there anything else you wanted to mention about, uh, before we uh, get to the the awards section? Uh, I I I was in, I did enjoy the scene where um, uh, the queen went apeshit on uh, her handmaiden there and just started slapping the shit out of this pregnant lady. <laughs> you know what? Let's listen to that too. Why not? Sure. Let's hear it. <laughs> Here, my lady. Tell me, is it true? Are you with child? Are you with child? Yes, yeah. my lady. You dare to keep secrets from me? You ask my permission before you fuck Before you breathe! My bitches wear my collars! Do you hear me? Do you hear me? Majesty, please, dignity, mercy. This is no time for mercy, Walsingham. You go to your traitor brother and leave me to my business. Is it his? Tell me, say it. Is the child his? Is it his? Yes. My lady. It is my husband's child. Majesty, this is not the queen I love and serve. This man has seduced a ward of the queen. And she has married without royal consent. These offenses are punishable by law. Arrest him! Go! You no longer have the Queen's protection. As you wish, Majesty. Get out! Get out! Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> what did the Five Fingers say to the face? Slap. <laughs> yeah, that's a good scene because there's some emotion in it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but again, again, the the relationship dynamic is just so underwritten. Yeah. Yeah, it's but all. Anyway. Ugh. Why? Yeah. All right. Anything else? No. Can we be done with this thing? <laughs> well, let's move on, Jason, because I uh, haven't I haven't gotten to say this in a while, but this movie goes to the Oscars. Oh shit! It actually wins an Oscar. Best costumes. Best costume design. Hey. And and making history, the the um I believe the only actress to be nominated for best actress for the same role. Wow. In two different movies. So Kate Blanchett is nominated again, rightfully so. She's fantastic. Yeah, she is. Um, she does not win. The other nominees that year are Laura Linney for The Savages, um, Ellen Page for Juno, Julie Christie for Away From Her. Wow. And the winner that year was Marion Cotillard for La Vie en Rose. Wait, is Away From Her, is that the Sarah Pauly movie? Yeah, Julie Christie was nominated. I didn't realize she was in that. I I knew is it is it Christopher Plummer in that with her? 
I think that I think they are the uh, the couple. Yeah. I'm looking it up now. <laughs> well, Jason, it also goes. To oh the no, no, it's it's Julie Christie and Canadian and, and Canadian legendary icon of Canada, Gordon Pinson. Oh, I thought I was going to say Max von Sydow. No, <laughs> I don't think he's Canadian. Wow. Anyway. I didn't want to watch this sad movie about old people, but now that Julie Christie's in it, uh, I might have to. <laughs> right? Yeah, crazy. Um, so at the Baftas, it does it does go to the Baftas too. It is um, it doesn't win anything, but it is nominated for best lead actress again for Kate Blanchett. Again, Marion Cotillard wins that. Uh, best production design, which is won by the movie Atonement. Uh, and best costume design and best makeup and hair, which are both won by La Vie en Rose. Wow. Oh, not on. It's not my, <laughs> I'm pronouncing my French words too much. Um, and I want to talk about Rose. I want to talk about the uh, a couple of the critics' comments here about this movie because it's not super well received. No. Um, it's not like. Like I said, 34% on Rotten Tomatoes. About a third of the critics liked it enough, and then everyone else was kind of like, Meh. but um, Peter Bradshaw said, where Kapoor's first Elizabeth was cool, cerebral, fascinatingly concerned with complex plotting, the new movie is pitched at the level of a Gene Platty romantic novel. Ooh. Sick burn. Yeah. Gene Platty, take that. <laughs> Um, and then the other longer one, but I think it, it, it's interesting because it kind of ties into some to a movie we talked about in the past. Yeah. Um, from Michael Gove, he says it tells the story of England's past in a way which someone who's familiar with the Whig tradi- tradition of history would find, as I did, completely sympathetic. It's amazing to see a film made now that is so patriotic. One of the striking things about this film is that it's almost a historical anomaly. I can't think of a historical period film in which England and the English have been depicted heroically for the last 40 or 50 years. You almost have to go back to Laurence Olivier's Shakespeare's Henry V, in which you actually have an English king and English armies portrayed heroically. Okay, so what paper was that from? Uh, I'm not sure. Okay, because uh, if that's who I think it is, Michael Gove is the right honorable Michael Gove, who is a very prominent conservative politician in England, uh, and it makes sense that he would have that view. <laughs> I think he's uh, I think he's just a critic. Let me double check this. Right I mean, now. certainly there are probably other Michael Goves in the world, but that's the British Michael Gove I know. Uh, Note the right honorable Michael Gove. You are right. Booyah. Yeah. So- so take that review with a grain of political salt, folks. I, I will. I did not know who that was. So there you go. Jason is setting me straight. That's right. <laughs> Thank God. You, all our British listeners for a second were like, hold on a second there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I turned them into uh, gangsters, but. <laughs> hey, uh, hello, hello, hello. What's hello, hello, hello. Who's this Michael Gove you're quoting here? Michael Gove. He's a fucking Michael Gove. He is. <laughs> but so so jason we come to the end here and uh first of all we should get this out of the way we haven't really mentioned it in the other ones because it's been pretty obvious that we wouldn't replace <laughs> anything except for maybe the rainbow which is probably controversial but you know what i'm gonna we're i'm gonna stick with it i know you are too because we have balls jason yeah we do big balls um but i'm gonna ask you does this replace elizabeth on the list no no yeah. no of course not so what did you think of this one? Uh, the thing ultimately that I took away most positively from this wa- experience was it reminded me of a book I read many years ago. Uh, it's, Fight it's Club. Called, no, uh, the, no, that is a fantastic book. Um, this is called. This book is a Harry Turtle Dove alternate history novel called Ruled Britannia. 
And in that book, it posits what happens if the Spanish Armada was successful and then invaded and took over England. And that is a really cool book, is it? And it focuses on actually William Shakespeare and as he tries to write a play for the Spaniards, but at the same time secretly writing a play meant to incite the English people to rise up against their Spanish oppressors. It's a really cool book, and I'm glad that this movie reminded me of it. So thank you, Elizabeth the Golden Age. Is that your review of this movie? That's my review. (laughs) That's that's the one useful thing this movie did for me. It reminded me of that book. Yeah, I mean, this movie was, I mean, it was certainly better than the last few we've watched oh yeah um, no no let's let's not get crazy here i mean this certainly was better than what was the last one we watched that was such a sh- oh uh, well lawrence after arabia and well i mean jason we we did in a row we did lawrence after arabia yeah i mean the wicker man remake well that that at least was interesting uh, yeah not but i'm saying like not a good movie though but just like crazy yeah and then the 39 steps the tv movie re- version so we've done this makes four iffy ones in a row but i'd say out of those four this is obviously the the better one of the four well like i say i think i was more compelled so far by the wicker man remake than i was even by this one this one didn't interest me i mean the wicker man remake was not great but like i say there was enough to keep me interested this one just was drifting yeah I, i think this is a stronger film though like a stronger made film, sure, yeah, no, no, it's like the in the production value of it and and the uh, yeah, no, no question. Yeah. I mean, Wicker Man is anyway. <laughs> we talked about the Wicker Man. Enough. Yeah, we did. Um, we did get a whole episode if you want to go check it out. Yeah, that was that was two weeks ago. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm I would say that this is yeah, this is like it's it at best again, it just feels unnecessary. Like a lot of these sequels, yeah. um, it just feels like. It, Especially because like you could have done a continuation and talked about the Spanish Armada, but you you just have the same plot. Yeah. We have the same beats. We had, like literally have the same scene with Eddie Redmayne and Daniel Craig. Like it's the fucking exact same thing. Like I think the, um, I think the ultimate problem with this movie could be that they were focusing on Elizabeth when maybe Elizabeth should be there as a supporting character, but focus on somebody else that was important in this uh, in this whole story. Oh, fucking bring sweet, merciful death to me if they had focused on Clive Owen's character. Well, that might have been more interesting because we might have got to see like some some, uh, you know, some swashbuckling and some, uh, uh, you know, some more action stuff going on for the fellas. I mean, maybe, but not with the way they portrayed him in this movie. Yeah, that's true. That's true. They would have had to let him have a little more time to come up with a better interpretation of the character or direct him better, I suppose. Yeah. So I mean, it's whatever. It's not yeah. great. It's uh, it's a pretty weak follow-up to what I thought was a pretty strong movie. Like many of uh, these, there's worse ways to spend your afternoon. Yeah, it's um, it's just kind of. You'll probably be, honestly, I was more just bored at yeah. various times. Um, Me like too. this is again, I have to go back to what I said when we talked about Lawrence after Arabia. This is the movie I kind of feared Elizabeth was gonna be. Yeah. Like I kind of feared like it was gonna be. Like kind of this dull, and again, it wasn't Elizabeth. I I really liked Elizabeth. I think we both liked Elizabeth. I liked uh, it. I didn't like it as much as you did, but yeah, I did like it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I still think Shakespeare in Love is a better film, but anyway. You're probably right. Just saying. It won Best Picture, Jason. It has to be the best movie of 1998. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. That's 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 fact and law. <laughs> so, yeah. There's my there's my take. Jason's a little more succinct. Um, but yeah, there you have it. So we we're going to take Elizabeth the Golden Age and boot it into the Stone Age, Jason. 
Hey, take that, cavemen. Enjoy this thing you won't understand. Ha <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they're going to have a real fun time with that. Um, <laughs> good luck finding a fucking DVD player. Oh, they'll find one at the Stone Mart. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> it's Flintstones. I mean, obviously. That's Flintstones' documentary. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, I did not know that. It's well, funny, weird that it was animated. Well, it was just it was easier. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Much easier to animate a full-length documentary. In the Stone Age? Absolutely. Try building yeah. a camera out of a rock. Good luck. Yeah, well, not you know, you got to use a little elbow grease. <laughs> but we're going to, um, I guess I should uh, tell the people what we're going to be talking about next week. Because, and now for something completely similar, continues. Yes. It's it, we're, we're cored. We're all cored up. And we're going to watch some more, at least one more of these things. Two more. Two more. All right. We've got two more to come. So next week we are going to talk about – now we talked about a movie on the list, uh, The Bells of St. Trinians. Yes. And weirdly enough, they made a couple se- – well, they made a few sequels close to when the first one came out, many different ones. But we're going to talk about something different. We're going to talk about a sequel they made way later. This is in 2007, St. Trinians. Simply called St. Trinians. You know what they did, Jason, is they took out the bells of, because you got to yeah. get right to the point. Well, these girls aren't bells, Brendan. These girls are sluts. <laughs> what? Oh, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess that's just uh, presumptive of me to say. Uh, <laughs> that, was, that was shockingly crude. <laughs> I wasn't ready for that. I just, uh, it's just, you get the whole, it's a modern take on a movie about a bunch of schoolgirls and the mind reels at the possibilities uh, uh, for gross cast. I've got some uh, I've got some bad news for you, Jason. I believe this movie's only PG-13. Ah, well, we'll make do. So we're going to talk about St. Trinian's, um, which I'm sure no one listening has seen. Um, but we're uh, and and y- you won't be able to find it. Well, there's at least six people that have have it out there, uh, but uh, we'll see. Okay, well, six, you six people out there, send me the disc <laughs> and a PAL DVD player to play it. <laughs> Jason's gonna have to buy a uh, non-region DVD player. Imported from uh, uh, Thailand. Imported from Wuhan, I believe, actually. Oh, straight from there. Cool. Yeah. Things are looking uh, up. That having been said, Saint Trinian's next week. You can find us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at bfi underscore pod. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for for screen ad godre. You can find Jason on Twitter. At Jason D. McLeod. Uh, so check me out there. M-A-C-L-E-O-D. That's my name. Don't wear it out. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so funny. Oh, boy. You'll you'll notice that Jason's uh, Twitter account has gotten into a real golden age of tweets. Uh, also, while you're out there, be sure to check out Rule Britannia by Harry Turtledove, 2002. It's a fine novel. You'll enjoy it. If you enjoy that, check out his Timeline 191 series, In the Presence of Mine Enemies. He's got all the alternate history you could want at a bargain bin price. Jason, I'm starting to think that you plug so much stuff. I'm just going to give you a pick of the week section from now on. <laughs> just something that I like. I would yeah. Love- Pick of the week this week, Harry Turtledove's Ruled Britannia. And my pick of the week this week is go watch The Invisible Man, or I guess watch it online. It's great. I'm the Invisible Man. It's criminal how you can. Wow. See right through me. I'm just trying to get the algorithm to fuck us over. I'm so disappointed that wasn't the theme song to the movie. Well, that should have been, because that's fucking The Invisible Man by Queen. 
I feel like it may have messed up the uh, the tone of the film. Uh, maybe, maybe. I've, based on what I've heard, yeah, probably, but I don't care. Considering I don't really want to see that uh, a scene of uh, spousal abuse scored to that song. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. And I'm in your head, but I'm in your brain, but I mean, the lyrics kind of match up, but... <laughs> But yeah, so yeah, we'll just we'll do that from now on, Jason, because I feel like you you watch and like a lot of stuff. So all right, cool, picks, cool. picks. So that's that does it for us. Um, so all I've got to say to you, Jason, mm-hmm. is yes. God save the queen. God save the screen. For screen and country, I'm Brendan. Oh, and I am Jason. Fare thee well, loyal servants. It's time, let's check our cue, baby. Pair it with a couple brews, baby. We love good movies. We love the bad ones, too. So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you. Oh, yeah. Everything I learned from movies With a one last plot holes of gratuitous boobies It's time to get busy with your friend Steven At eilfm.podbean.com Hi, I'm Jay Batts. And I'm Michael. And we're the hosts of a very thought-provoking show called The What If Podcast. On it, we'll explore the big and little what-ifs of life and steer our listeners toward a better understanding of the real or hypothetical situations we might find ourselves in. Or not. On our journey, we'll learn interesting facts and fictions about the everyday world. And sometimes, most of the times, we'll dive headlong into rabbit holes that slide up against the subject and sharply turn away from it. Come along with us. We'll have fun and learn something new together. New episodes release every other Tuesday. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Music, and anywhere fine podcasts are archived.